I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Three, two, one. E3 is more will they, won't they than Ross and Rachel. Tears of the Kingdom has finally shown its hand, and it's a big sticky green one, and the Wii U and 3DS eShops have gone to that big me-verse in the sky. This is VGC, a video game podcast with me, Chris Scullion, Andy Robinson, and MobileGamer.biz's Neil Long. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Andy, you are only here for a few more days, and then you're off to Japan with the family for a well-earned break. Yeah, I've never had more anxiety in my life. Um, everyone's got COVID. I'm supposed to be getting on a plane for a trip three years in the making um, in a couple of days. You should stress not everyone in your family, you mean? No, not everyone in my family. (laughs) You know what it is? You know when it starts going around again and suddenly you're like, oh, I know like two or three, you know, friends of friends or, you know, family members of friends who have it. So, yeah, I'm shitting myself at the moment, to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be all all good. And Neil Long, um, the editor of MobileGamer.biz. How's it going, mate? Very good, mate. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. For, for listeners not aware, uh, Neil, Andy and I have all been kind of, in the past, been colleagues. Um, me and Neil used to work together on the official Nintendo magazine a long, long time ago. So we have previous, um, which will mean if the conversation is awkward, there is no excuse. Um, <laughs> so this is going to be 40 minutes of anecdotes that no listeners yeah. understand. <laughs> anecdotes from 10, Best 10 kind of years anecdotes. ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, you, gossip. Oh, hey, listen, we'll have some media gossip coming up uh, and it'll all be tragic, sad stuff because, um, yeah, we'll get to that in a bit, but um, sad days for all those Wii U players still active. Um, With Neil's expertise in all things pocket-sized, we'll be discussing the state of the mobile games industry in the second half, but for now, let's talk about the biggest stories of the past week in our headlines. First up, everyone is pulling out of E3 like it's going out of fashion. Also, E3 is going out of fashion. Um, Ubisoft announced on Monday that it will no longer be attending this year's physical E3 event. Uh, Last month, the Assassin's Creed publisher was the first major company to publicly commit to attending the revamped E3, which is due to take place at the time of recording in June at its traditional venue of the LA Convention Centre. However, in a statement issued to VGC, Ubisoft said it's now decided to move in a different direction and will now be hosting its own Ubisoft Forward Live event on June 12th. Um, the day after Ubisoft pulled out, Sega and Tencent then confirmed that they wouldn't be participating in an official capacity either. Uh, we already knew that Nintendo and Xbox had confirmed they were going to be skipping the event and PlayStation isn't expected to participate either. Meaning at this rate, it feels less like who's going to be there and more like who's left to drop out. Um, discussion points here. Is, is E3 still going to go ahead this year, Andy? Um, I on, Honestly, by the time this podcast goes out, it could already be canned. That, that's um, my concern. I mean, who, the the chatter's going round. I mean, the problem is, is with this, and always has been the issue, is that you've got absolutely tons of shit stirring, um, <laughs> you know, flying about. Full full caveat. I mean, obviously, we are a network partner of of Repot, which is the company that are, are owning this, are running this. Sorry, 
Um, but obviously it's not difficult to, to get kind of information on, on kind of what's roughly going on because there are so many parties involved, right? I mean, every single games publisher by definition is being invited. I mean, the ESA is made up of all of the US, the, the biggest US games publishers. Um, so th there's plenty of gossip, but there's also, you know, obviously rival events um, that, that are, go on in LA at the same time. Um, so you, you kind of got chatter coming from them that might necessarily be from a different perspective. So it's difficult to um, to, to to get a, a kind of clear clear idea at all times, but I mean certainly what is true is that it's not looking great, right? Um, uh, anyone who listened to I think it was the the first podcast we did in this series where I, I kind of talked about what's going on with E3, and not much has changed. Um, Kat Bailey and Rebecca Valentine over at IGN did a really really good piece um, this week which is it basically says exactly what i said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that the issue is is sort of like a who's going to everyone playing each other's bluff basically like who's going to jump first yeah. yeah it's like lots of publishers wait like verbally agreed to do e3 i understand and then they were all waiting to see like who would sign on first because no one wanted to be the guy who ended up like ubisoft this week um, having to pull out after you'd already kind of verbally committed. I mean, I'm not even sure anyone actually officially signed up. I mean, I, I feel I feel incredibly sorry for for Repop if it doesn't go ahead because yeah. they've done. I mean, they are a, a fantastic events company. You only have to look at their track record, right? I mean, at the same time as as this this shit is going on, I mean, obviously we had Pax Pax um, Pax East. Was it Pax East or Pax West? I think it's Pax East this yeah, week East. going on which had, you know, Nintendo there and tons of like big companies there and looked like a fantastic event. They know what they're doing, right? This, so, I mean, they, they've, to my understanding, you know, they've had a big, a kind of bit of a run at this because obviously E3's had a bit of a break during the pandemic. So they, they've kind of met with all of the publishers and said, look, do you want an E3? Because if you don't, we're not going to bother. And they've all gone, yeah, yeah, we do want an E3. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, what kind of show would you like? And they've collated, you know, kind of that feedback and built the show that that the games companies want. Mm. And then what's happened is, is obviously this weird stalemate where for, for whatever reason, you've kind of got, you know, negativity flying around, rumors flying around, you know, then, then they hesitate. And, you know, the, the paperwork hasn't been done quite as quickly as it could have, perhaps. Yeah. Um, you know, I hope it still goes ahead, right? I mean, at the time of recording this, it's 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 still going going ahead. I think that this year was always going to be a stopgap, like it needed to be the first one up. There are tons of reasons outside of any sort of like organizational process that this was going to be a tough E3, because for a start, there's no code. You know, people, yeah. developers stopped creating pre-release code a long time ago, because why would you during the pandemic when you're already struggling to get your games out? Why would you be making pre-release code? Companies like PlayStation, for example, do not make pre-release code anymore. So therefore, when you go to them and go, do you want to go to E3? It's like, well, what could we actually bring? I mean, you saw Xbox at Gamescom last year. They had a booth of um, idea Xbox games and like some experiential stuff. Like there was a, a statue of the robot from Starfield and, and things like that, right? You can have a picture of it. Like, but they didn't, to my knowledge, have like, I think, think um, the Obsidian game was there, Pentiment. Um, hmm. I, I've, but otherwise it's all behind closed doors so you've got that you've got the fact that uh, again IGN kind of corroborated what I said on Twitter a while ago this week that you know lots of companies have had their, their marketing budget slashed it's not at pre-pandemic levels because 
you're seeing lots of people um, kind of lose their job at the moment because these these um, big corporate giants are adjusting to um, to what is uh, you know kind of the market coming back down a little bit. I mean, it's still up on what it was pre-pandemic, but obviously exploded in the pandemic. Everyone was yay, it's happy days, spend money, hire people, do stuff, and now it's slowly coming, you know, back to where it, it, it kind of should be really. Neil, with with Ubisoft saying au revoir and then Sega and Tencent following, um, where do you see this year's E three at this stage? Do you think it will still go ahead, um, or do you think this is the these are the first kind of uh, swords getting pulled out of the kerplunk, which is quite a reference? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's a shame because I th- I think everyone in the industry wants E three to happen, um, but uh, game publishers have actually got to pay for this stuff and. In the current climate, it's hard to justify the mega bucks you need to spend on on doing an E3. Like, and purely anecdotally, last week I was at GDC, um, which is also expensive to go to and expensive to attend uh, as a as a as a developer or a publisher. Um, and when I did ask people, um, "Oh, you go to E3 in the summer?" A lot of the time, they just looked at me blankly and like they almost didn't realize yeah, it. Nobody, nobody knew. didn't realize it was on. And um, you know, I, I think I texted you. I actually, I actually think the um, the pricing this year was like the lowest they've ever done. Right. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, their, their marketing budgets have gone. Of, of, of obviously, everyone's marketing budget has been slashed. I mean, that was certainly the case with Microsoft. I think where it's like, do you want to, you know, spend this on a big booth or do you want to go elsewhere? Yeah. To your point, yeah, the impression I get is that it's just a, a logistical thing, right? Like a lot of people, especially on the. It's, all, it's the, also in, not great in the trenches. That, um, like, well, we don't know. Yeah, it's not great that there's there's just no information out there. Like, I I almost booked. Uh, like, I, I'm a journalist. I need to go and cover this stuff. I almost booked a trip to to LA in June, which is not cheap. Um, but before I hit the like confirm button, I thought like there's no information out there about this show, and like I can't I can't just drop several thousand pounds on on this trip on this trip that may not like i don't know who's attending and it's like three months away so it's um like i understand the bind read popper in like you can't announce this stuff till it's 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 kind of chicken and egg right you can't announce it till everyone's confirmed but then no one wants to confirm unless everyone else is confirmed so it's like it's a tough one it's a shame if it doesn't happen and i would imagine it would be quite a big um you know that it will come at a big financial cost you know you've rented you've booked that big convention center in la in in summer mm. for a week and i mean just to, to contra- contradict everything as well like i mean e3 i mean e3 for, for most people the vast majority of people e3 is just a badge it's a week right it's never about what's in the lacc what happens in the lacc is important um, because that that's that's where the journalism is going on. That's that's the I hate you know the content. Um, but you know I used to. I mean it's the same with you guys, uh, right? And when I used to go to E3, I'd come back with twenty plus like high profile interviews, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Not to mention hands on and stuff like that. That stuff hasn't transitioned to online. It's just gone. Yeah. Like you know during the pandemic's been absolutely shit for that, and you've seen so many instances of games being dropped. You know, without any kind of uh, you know prior indication of uh, of issues. I mean, you had like Cyberpunk happen. You have battle the worst Battlefield, the worst Call of Duty in Vanguard. 
you know, these, these, there's no, that's just the transparency that's gone, right? No one played pretty much, I don't think hardly anyone played PS5 before that came out. Um, you know, so at the end of the day, consumers miss out. It's like there's a, a, a lot of um, kind of weird, like fraud I see online, you know, uh, people like sort of almost celebrating this, but it's like, well, people coming together is, is crucial, not for, just for journalism, but, uh, you know, for, for game publishing as well, you know, for seeing these games, signing these games. Um, it's not a good thing, but at the same time, you know, without, I don't want to put too much doom and gloom on it because even if the, the LACC event doesn't happen, E3 to, to people outside is just a week where game stuff happens. Right. And that's still going to happen, you know, regardless of whether that, that convention center is open or not. I mean, there was a weird thing, um, like some, a weird thing about like, um, Microsoft, like not going to E3, um, was one of the first that broke and it was like, well, but they you know, they didn't technically go to E3, the last two E3s either, because they're not in the convention center in that they're in the Microsoft theater that's nearby. So just for this year, I mean, Ubisoft, who, who we broke on VGC, you know, they're just going to hold their own event in LA. Mm-hmm. Xbox are holding their own event in LA. You know, Jeff Keighley is holding his Summer Game Fest thing in LA. Um, these companies, you don't just decide in you know, even three months, you know, E3 three months away now, you don't just decide, oh shit, should we go there and announce some games? This is being planned for more than half a year, right? Um, like the Konami that's stuff my, that I talked about. That's my thinking on why um, in, in our podcast. What's happened this year is is you've tried to bring something back after a pandemic and actually that's really hard and you can't, maybe they needed two years run, yeah. run up uh, to say like it's back 2024 yeah uh, maybe maybe that's maybe that's what they'll do right yeah. maybe they'll say now like look we're gonna you know have a breather and we're gonna take what we learn and we're gonna come out next year but these companies that planned to go to to e3 and you know i understand it's a gamescom caliber thing right i mean you're seeing some of the names now like ubisoft sega you know bandai namco tencent they're all the japanese publishers i think were interested at one point you know your squares capcoms etc um they they would have been planning the content for that show for a very long time. So it's not like they're now going to go, oh, well, I guess we'll have to wait for the next one. Yeah. They'll just take it somewhere else. Yeah. I imagine a lot of them will still be doing the exact same thing. They just won't have a physical booth. You know, you're going to lose out on a, on a lot of content if they are not at a physical show. But I think E3 were kind of, the people running E3 this year were trying to take a page out of the Gamescom book by running the the industry part first and then the consumer part after. And um, why that hasn't worked in America versus what works in, in Cologne, Germany, is, is a bit of a puzzle. Like, you'd think the market's bigger, you know, games are huge everywhere in the world, but maybe particularly in America. So why it hasn't worked is, if, if assuming it, it's not happening... I don't think there's, is, honestly is don't kind think of, there's one reason. Is, ...is a bit of a puzzle, really. There's, there's clearly, I don't know. Obviously, Ubisoft was was like the first kind of major company this this year to to say, okay, we're we're going to be at E3. Do you think the hope was maybe that when when Ubisoft kind of stepped forward and said we're in, that it would start a chain reaction of people saying, okay, we're in, we're in, we're in, and when that didn't happen, Ubisoft kind of backed out, and now everyone is taking the chain reaction in the opposite direction, saying, okay, we're out, we're out, we're out. Well, it's it's kind of what Neil said, really, is that from what I am, I mean, I didn't go to GDC this year, but from what I hear, the reaction from most people when you ask them you're E3 is like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to permutate all the way up, right? It's And that, that, that seed of doubt is like poison, right? 
all these these publishers that have said verbally, yeah, we'll have reserve our a booth. You know, we'll do this. Um, you like at some point you're like, you know, you have to to have to jump one way or the other, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, Ubisoft are probably like even they're sat here. Like, imagine Ubisoft are here right now in the same knowledge as us. Like, well, we've signed up. We don't. We're not convinced whether this thing's going to happen. We're not hearing anything. You know, at some point we need to like. We could be really left vulnerable if they cancel it and we've put all of our eggs in that basket. Yeah. At some point, you need to commit, right? It's, it's easy so, to say. Yeah, I don't know. But, I honestly... Um, if, if, if it was a case of, yeah. like, as people signed up, they, they were announced as attending and there, and there was this constant drip feed of, oh, Sega's coming. Oh, Ubisoft's turning up. Uh, and then, you know, take two, blah, blah, blah. And there was this, this sort of constant um, sort of... Uh, conveyor belt of publishers and developers signing up that would feel a lot more you know if there are a load of people already signed up and that's not been announced that's slightly puzzling as to why they've not been announced to sort of gather the troops you know final final question on e3 because i'm, I'm conscious that even as we record this it might be out of date because it, it might have already been cancelled as far as we know um ever the opportunist jeff Keighley tweeted um from the summer game fest account um during all this hullabaloo that um quote production is ramping up on our biggest summer game fest ever and the video game industry comes together this june um obviously as as e3 was, was kind of having its, its struggles summer game fest popped up um, can even if E3 kind of sees a resurgence and kind of finds its feet again, can the two of them coexist, or is one of them going to have to just give um, without and, and kind of stop these publishers having to decide one or the other to commit to? Oh yeah, they they can absolutely coexist. I mean, it's a digital first event, right? Which E3, um, you know, wasn't positioning itself as. I mean, as as far as I know, E3, you know, would have would have worked alongside Jeff on, on Summer Game Fest because he's doing something that is completely different, right? Mm. I mean, like all the, the press conferences and Ubisoft first and Xbox Showcase, whatever, that doesn't cannibalize E3. They're, they're different mm. things. So uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, in terms of um, the, the the physical space, I don't, you know, what what Jeff did last year was completely different for E3. It's an invite only, very, very small, intimate, like you know, one person per major publication, um, kind of kind of thing with like some games there that you could play and then some people you could interview and it was a very small intimate event which I enjoyed but very very different for me free. Um, he Jeff's actually in London at the moment, um, so I'm, I'm trying to drag him down to a pub. Um, but if Kojima's in town as well, then it's all over, isn't maybe, it? Maybe that's it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like if if. Uh... Big Jeff and his uh, digital showcase has kind of stolen its thunder. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you're a publisher and it's like uh, submit a trader to Jeff's showcase for effectively very little money, or spend many tens of thousands on a, a show. Oh, I, I, prom I promise you, it's not very little money. <laughs> um, you're talking no, you're talking for 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 one of Jeff's shows. You're paying you know six figures. Really. For some of these spots maybe that's it he's definitely he, not cheap. maybe that's it he sucked all the budget out of e3 and and that's where it's gone um okay well that's uh, e3 uh done and dusted um maybe uh maybe literally but we'll soon see um moving on uh to our second headline we have finally seen some proper gameplay footage from the legend of zelda colon tears of the kingdom um, Nintendo showed off 10 minutes of gameplay footage earlier this week, narrated by series producer AJ Aonuma. Um, and they showed off some of Link's new abilities um, in greater detail. 
these include recall where link can reverse time uh the fuse ability which is the one that uh, twitter seems to be talking a lot about where link can join items together to make new ones uh, it showed them joining a stick to a rock to make a big hammer for example um another ability called ultra hand showed them joining together larger items in the world with a kind of sticky green substance um and the ascend ability lets him travel right through ceilings uh, so he can reach higher areas all uh, thrilling stuff and nintendo also finally officially announced the long rumored special edition tears of the kingdom switch oled console which will be released on the 20th of april two weeks before the game at a price of 359 us dollars um chaps uh did either of you watch the zelda 10 minute gameplay fest and what were your uh, initial reactions to it if so uh yeah it's really good isn't it it's brilliant like it's i'm i'm it's my opinion's the same as most people um which is that it sort of reinvigorated the excitement right i mean we've been waiting for that game for so long based on so little um it's that it's just a natural evolution of um of the formula that made that original game great like i remember i went to the i think it was a gdc talk where they they kind of showed how they they created breath of the wild and it was um, using a prototype of the original um, NES Zelda um, where they would put in this. It's a chemistry system, right? That's what yeah. it is. That's what powers um, Breath of the Wild. They, they put that into Zelda 1 where you'd get a stick and you'd walk it to some fire and it'd catch on fire and you go to the water and it'd go out. And so mm-hmm. you create this emergent gameplay, this systemic gameplay, right? That is just created through systems and that creates so many possibilities. Um, and this, what you've seen in, in this um, new demo, just looks like a natural evolution of that. Oh, great! Now you can build things, you can stick things together. Um, I mean, the other two, the other two ideas look a little bit gimmicky. You know, yeah. kind of, oh, you can jump for a ceiling. I mean, that kind of seems like a a good design choice because it's frustrating sometimes the verticality of the first game. I've got to climb that big bloody mountain really slowly, <laughs> why a meter, you know, and so I end up dropping. That seems like a solution to a problem, which which is, is cool. Um, I mean, I saw something, um, someone kind of suggested to me that this game's been done for quite a while and they've just been testing it. And I can't, I believe that. Yeah. yeah. Because you, again, you create these systemic games. God knows what kind of game breaking shit yeah, there's all, you could all come up with. All sorts of fun ways you can break that game, isn't there? Um, and it looks, you know, the, the, the sort of underlying engine behind it must be pretty robust to, to withstand all the mad stuff that people are going to do with those abilities. Uh, yeah, it looks amazing. Uh, as a, a former uh, editor of official Nintendo magazine, I uh, watched that trailer thinking, oh, we could have got like 20 pages out of this. I don't know if you still think in the same magazine terms, Chris, but um, we would have got a cover and 20 odd pages 100%. out of that bad boy. And it would have still been incredible value at three pounds ninety nine as well. Um, the, the 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 thing that it, 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 the the whole potential to break the game is what excites me most about it because, um, also the most fun uh stuff that that came out of breath of the wild originally coming out was all the twitter videos of people doing really weird things with it with the kind of time suspension ability to just totally fuck the game up um and the the, the now the the ability to to join things together and build vehicles and stuff you're, you're going to get speedrunners basically sticking a stick to a tree and then building a big flying thing that just catapults them straight to Ganon or whoever the enemy is this time and like completing the game in like 12 seconds and shit like that it's going to be fantastic when you go from um Wind Waker to Twilight Princess to Skyward Sword to Breath of the Wild 
there's a clear um, difference in art style with each of these games. Whereas here, it looks like we're kind of getting a Majora's Mask situation where um, we, we blatantly are getting that, where, where they're building on the original kind of the, the, the previous game just by almost like an a, a extremely elaborate um, expansion to it. Is that okay? Is that is that enough at that point, or, or are you kind of secretly disappointed that um, this just pushes further back, whatever the next evolution of um, no, we've Zelda? Only, we've is. only seen ten minutes of it. I know, but but, ve- but visually, like, but visually, the, I mean. Well, what do you, what do you want them to do? Change the art style. <laughs> All right. Well, then wait another ten years. <laughs> like I mean, that's that's, that's, but that's that's modern that's modern games, right? Like, I mean, anyone whinging about this has no idea like how games are made. To be like, to be you know, to be clear to be clear I'm not went I'm I'm just I'm purely playing devil's. I'm advocate. not talking about you. I've seen people go. Oh, it looks like DLC. Who's, well, who's saying that? Like they, you know, everything uses the same fundamental technology, right? It's like, <laughs> do you want a game that's like half the size that looks completely different, or do you want their actual vision, right? Where they've made it, the scale of it looks fucking incredible. Yeah, this I, is a game running on, you know, got ten year old technology by all you know uh, purposes. And it, it the scale of it is bigger than uh, most games that I've seen on fucking other modern, more powerful platforms. It looks fucking amazing. I mean, yeah. all right, this is the bit where I mug myself off. It actually did start <laughs> as DLC. They've said that. Um, you know, Aonuma said that the, the original idea for this game was DLC. But it's probably, we should put some stuff in the sky. Yeah. Like, well done, this is getting <laughs> quite big. Why don't we make it into a new game, right? But that's how a lot of games create that is humans in teams coming up with ideas and then solving problems yeah i like the, the basic question sure. is do you do you want more of probably the best game ever made and the answer is yes yes i do right like i don't know how you can complain <laughs> about more of uh, more breath of the wild it's it's you know like a a, a landmark game and uh yeah Anyone complaining can just uh, do one. I think the important thing to take from it is that they've, they've added a new item called the puff shroom, <laughs> which is basically a mushroom that explodes into a puff of smoke. And, and I mean, that makes it an instant five-star game regardless. So Ultra I mean, hand, right? Oh, ultra hand as well. A cheeky wee reference there for, for the old school. Um, and finally, before the break, um, the Wii U and, e- and 3DS eShops have been shut down permanently uh, because reasons. Uh, the Wii U and 3DS eShops have now been closed, marking the end of two more digital marketplaces. Um, for now, if you still have a balance on either of those systems, you have until March 2024 to transfer your balance to the Switch. Otherwise, it'll be gone for good. Um, we did some analysis recently, and around a 1,000 digital-only eShop games have now effectively disappeared for good. So tip of 40 out to the curb for the likes of Dr. Luigi, Pokemon Rumble U, the Pool Blocks games, the three Dylan's Rolling Western games, 11 Picross games, the original Pocket Card Jockey, uh, the sequel now on Apple Arcade, 3DS Classics, etc., and it also marks the end of the virtual console service, meaning the only legal way now to play retro Nintendo games is through Switch Online. Gentlemen, is this another massive blow for game preservation? Oh, yes. Thanks. Uh, Moving I on. Mean, <laughs> I, uh, I, the, 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 to the extent that I cared is that I had a reminder to come by, like just stock up my Wii U and my 3DS, and then I couldn't find the chargers, so I went, oh, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do wonder I if I, didn't do it. I do wonder if this stuff is overblown a little bit. I I I I, pre, I, I do agree that game preservation is important, um, and the like form factor of those consoles means that they're naturally like harder to 
preserve. But um, I don't know. Is anyone really going back, like fishing their Wii U out? The four people that bought a Wii U. Well, no, they're they're not. Otherwise, they wouldn't be closing no, exactly. things, so right? Like... Otherwise, <laughs> consoles consoles wouldn't be launching without backwards compatibility, which was the norm yeah. before this generation. So like, because um... statistically, people didn't play old games. Yeah, I, I I know I know where my 3ds is. It's like in a in a box over there somewhere. But like I don't I don't know. I time time moves on. I, I I'm I'm not all that sad about it. I don't know if that makes me a heartless uh, drone, but yeah. Yeah, it, it it does feel more kind of the principle and the thing rather than rather than the practice because, I mean, obviously Neil, you and you and I, with our history with Nintendo publications, both know for a fact there is some amount of shite <laughs> on the Wii U and the 3DS eShops, um, and a huge quantity of it will not be missed. Um, I, I, it is really just the principle in that. For example, if there was some sort of moron who writes encyclopedias about games um, <laughs> and may want to kind of keep track of every single oh, yeah. good, what, good, what good kind of WiiWare encyclopedia. The, the, the Wii, what kind uh, of maniac would do that, Chris? I'll have you know, I'll have you know that the Wii U encyclopedia is already contracted. <laughs> and I'm actually quite worried now because this is just going to be really, really annoying now. Um, it's a shame. But, but, but it should also be pointed out that 3DS is only discontinued in 2020. Is this? a bit too soon for that even even though it does it does it it does feel so i didn't notice we going um but i mean i suppose the bigger concern for me and most people is if we don't get on top of this like as consumers if we don't kind of shout about this it's going to get much worse because you know at least i mean i'm not so worried about like wii u and stuff because i bought all my games physically right i know there's digital only games and probably the ones that i wanted the key ones i would have downloaded at the time um, but all of the big games I've got physically, same for 3DS. I used to buy f- physical games then, or, or certainly when we were in the press, we used to get sent physical games. Um, the concern really is that physical games now is not the same. Like most physical games, you they're missing, they're not all on the disc. Yeah, you know, they're missing content, patches, downloads, or they heaven forbid they need an online connection. So that's the real concern. So it's more like, well, all the games you're playing now, they won't fucking work in 10 years. You know, yeah. you don't own that's the bigger concern for me. Like I've got a, a Super Famicom and everything behind me, all my Super Famicom games that, you know, 30, 30 year old games, I can play those, but that's likely not to be the case with even possibly like PS4 gen, you know? Mm. I can't, yeah. I can't remember the last time I bought I mean, this can, can... and put it into a console and, and played a game. Uh, all, every every so, game I play is. I don't, I don't know what a PS5 this looks like. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah I, yeah, I I agree. Game preservation is important um, and should be maintained. But I I don't I don't I don't feel super sad about this. Um, will this are some are some digital shops like too big to fail? Like I mean, you you look at this you look at the Switch eShop and it's is many multiple times larger than the Wii U and the 3DS and it could be you can imagine there will be a time even if that's 10-15 years from now when that too will shut down or could it be that this is the start of um when you can see how slowly it takes for them to put retro games on switch online do you get the feeling this is them starting something that will progress from generation to generation well that's quite it's quite bad right because it's like you said that those consoles they've shut that was the last opportunity for people to own these games digitally You can't buy them anymore. You have yeah. to pay Nintendo a fee every single month yeah. to access your, you know, digital copy of Super Metroid. You yeah. can't buy them. But on Wii and Wii U and 3DS, you could buy them. They're sat there. It's your collection. Yeah. I mean, okay, it's kind of nice that they're not going to sell me Mario Brothers for the fucking 18th <laughs> time. 
But I'd buy it. <laughs> but but I mean, but is the is the hope that um do, do do you hope that when this when the Switch's successor comes out, whatever that may be, that the eShop it just carries over and continues and it will have Switch 2 or whatever you want to call it games and Switch games still there? Or is Nintendo going to do what it usually does and create an entirely new digital marketplace because xbox obviously does the opposite um your, your series x the, the the store you access in the series x is the same as the store you access on xbox one and they have 360 games and original xbox games on it and you've got to imagine if the series x or series s ever has a successor it'll just be the same store and they'll still have access to those previous games um which to me feels like the way to ensure that these things are preserved a bit longer if not forever certainly longer um is that something well, presumably that's something you'd hope nintendo would do i think uh yeah everything's going to move behind a subscription at some point isn't it that's that's where we're heading and nintendo should probably uh figure out how to do that and, and move it across platforms because that's that really is the the way of the future i think uh, you know i i'm 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 a playstation plus subscriber i don't think i'll ever buy a new game again I'm happy, like there's loads of games on there that I want to play. Um, and that yeah. that's kind of the the way things are moving. Yeah. Well, it's a sad day either way for Wii U and 3DS owners. Um, put them in your, uh, have them in your prayers tonight. Uh, we'll be back in the second half with a detailed, almost surgical look at the state of the mobile games industry. But for now, here's a break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, we are back, and to, now we are going to talk about the state of the mobile games industry. Um, we are obviously Neil is the editor of MobileGamer.biz, uh, which I believe recently uh, celebrated its one year anniversary. It did. Um, a lovely, uh, shiny baby boy. Um, Neil, you were the games editor on the Apple App Store for more than seven years, and now you've been running MobileGamer.biz for a year. Is mobile gaming in rude health? Or is it more rude dog in the dweebs? And I will not explain that reference for younger listeners. <laughs> good, good reference. Uh, yeah, I. Um, it is. Uh, it's an in- interesting spot, uh, actually. Um, mobile. Uh, the, so what's happened recently is that uh, Apple, in its great wisdom, has. Um, you know, when you download something and you get a pop up saying "Ask App Not to Track," mm-hmm. um, everyone obviously taps and "Don't Track Me." Uh, and that has kind of uh, caused yeah. effectively uh, a recession in mobile games um, because a lot of the mobile game economy was based around um, 
uh, a thing called user acquisition. So people could buy, um, you know, based on that tracking, you could buy um, sort of, uh, you could put your ads and your games in front of customers who are more likely to download them, right? So a lot of the mobile games economy was based around that that level of tracking. And now that's gone away, there is a, um, a bit of trouble uh, in the air. So it's quite an interesting time uh, to report on the market because um, people aren't too fond of Apple for doing this and Google will likely sort of follow suit. So uh, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. It's super interesting and moves really fast. Uh, and it's completely different to console and PC, which is sort of slower by nature. You get like five year generations effectively in console. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in mobile, you effectively get an entire generation in, in like one year. Um, so yeah, it's a very fast moving yeah. uh, market and, and sort of huge ups and downs. And and you've I mean obviously you've you've already confirmed live on this podcast that you couldn't give a single shit about game preservation, <laughs> but it's it's also um, it's all it does also mean that obviously a lot of these mobile games already there's already been like countless tens of thousands of mobile games that have kind of essentially disappeared because they don't work on modern headsets mm. and have kind of slowly worked their way out of these various app stores. Correct. Yes, that is true. Yeah, I um, it's it's um. It, this part of the reason it's fascinating it you know the entire mobile games industry is dependent on the whims of apple and google so if apple Mm. or google decide to make a policy change to how their stores work it it affects hundreds of thousands of developers huge businesses um and yeah part of that was a, a few years ago there was a sort of reckoning for like older games and they were all removed um i think from a mobile like my my day job is talking to mobile game developers and they, they would argue that maybe you shouldn't let so much shit on the app store and the Google play store in the first place. And then they wouldn't be cluttered up with um, all this um, bad stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's um, yeah. there's a constant sort of tug of war between the platform holders and, and game developers. And it's actually not, <laughs> right now it's not particularly uh, good tempered either. Like uh, I think there's a lot of resentment out there to towards Apple and Google for taking, you know, thirty percent every in-app purchase you get, you 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 make on mobile, thirty percent of that goes to Apple and Google. Um, so they're taking a third of everyone's business, and um, um, in 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 Apple's um, in the example of Apple is it doesn't give a great deal back. Google does um, a lot more to help mobile game developers sort of run their businesses with data and 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 other ways of helping. But um, yeah, it's uh it's a it's kind of a constant tug of war um uh, and and fascinating as a result we've got this legislation coming up don't we that that, that says that apple's going to have to soon allow um other kind of third party app stores and, and side loading and the likes is that going to maybe force it to, to drop its percentage a bit or is it jing it's going to kind of just steadfastly hold on to it? yeah I, uh, apple will will never um willingly give away money uh that's for sure um but it may be forced to if these if the legislation happens like there is legislation in korea and the netherlands and and it's coming in in japan where um platform holders like apple and google have to offer alternative payment services so therefore they don't get their 30 percent. but yeah it's coming there's a there's it's coming for europe so they will have to um at some point they will probably try and avoid it 
But yeah, and, and you know, Microsoft has made noises about launching a new app store. Uh, Epic Games has said um, it has an app store ready to go. Um, uh, last week, I saw another company um, with an app store. They showed me it on their iPhone, uh, ready to go um, if the legislation comes through. So uh, we're, yeah, we're moving potentially from this world where Apple and Google control everything into this world where there'll be a lot more competing app stores and 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 that will be ultimately better for the business, although it will sort of fracture things somewhat. Um, and, and often, you know, consumers just pick to stick to what they know. So a lot of people will stick to the, the Apple and Google stores anyway. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting time. Yeah. Um, you, you pointed out when we were talking about the Wii U and 3DS, you said that kind of going forward, the future is going to be subscriptions. Um, I, I am a self-confessed subscriber to Apple Arcade. Um, I'm also subscribed to Xbox Game Pass. If that gets its own app store, then presumably that will carry over. Um, PS Plus as well. I, I used to be subscribed to uh, the Google Play um, the, the past when, when, when I had an Android phone. Um, do you think this is the way forward, especially because there's always kind of, you know, there's always negativity about in-app purchases and in, in ads, often for ads for games that look fuck all like the actual game <laughs> looks when you download yeah. it. Um, do you think subscriptions are going to be like like a big future or do you think it's always going to be fairly niche? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I, um, you know, Apple Arcade is, is good, but it's sort of maybe losing a bit of momentum. Um, Google Play Pass, I think, has sort of faded from view entirely. I don't really... I don't really know if they're even updating it anymore, but Netflix is great. Um, loads of games on there that are, are worth recommending. Um, and yeah, Microsoft's plan, although it doesn't get reported about on, on very much, but because um, I think Call of Duty is the exciting thing about the Microsoft Activision deal. But, you know, Activision does own King, which is, you know, the maker of Candy Crush, which is an absolute giant and and... Uh, really knows how to how to play the mobile uh, game. So um, yeah, if there's a Microsoft App Store at some point, I think that could uh, could be really good. And you know, at some point, everything will be um, playable on your phone. It's kind of almost a matter of time. You can play Game Pass on your phone right now. Um, I don't know if there's a streaming yeah. thing you can do with PlayStation. You can play it on your phone, but Effectively, yeah, I, uh, we'll we'll get to a sort of singularity where uh, everything will be playable on your phone, and um, you can just sort of move between TV and and mobile and tablet uh, as you as you wish. But it'll take it'll take a few uh, years to get there. Yeah, um, Andy, I'm conscious I'm um, dominating this. Have you got into add about mobile well, games? Well, Huh? <laughs> Sorry, you still, are you still talking about mobile games? Oh, look at this. This, this, this anti-mobile oh, snobbery. Is, this, this I'm not an anti, anti-mobile snobbery, no. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you, you, you currently dabble with, Andy, mobile-wise? What's your, what's your mobile? No, 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 not really. No. That's a shame. I thought you were, were you not going to boot up Super Mario Run again to get your platinum points? No, no. Oh, that's the same. Um, I, I, play, I played um, Marvel Snap for quite a bit. Mm. Mm. Um, I used to love Hearthstone, you know, basically some very similar games. Mm. Um, I like um, Apple Arcade. I think they're doing a really good job of Apple Arcade. Like that it's actually very... Um, it's good for kids, I, isn't I, it? I hesitate to use the word core, but it's 
it's, it's more it's more core stuff on there. I always look out to see what's on there. It's always like you know there'll be like a game from Yu Suzuki or Game Freak, and you know it's like it's quite um, a compelling um, offering. Yeah, it's, a lot of the time it's quite like a strange developers. Quite a like strange playing, mix of um, uh, Pocket Jockey. Yeah, Pocket Jockey. So like they'll <laughs> it's an odd mix of like solitaire games, uh, games for kids, and then like a real like deep cut from like the 3ds eShop, it's quite odd yeah, like fantasian or something like yeah that. yeah uh, i i think yeah, those like bigger budget fantasian you know that was the that was the final fantasy guy wasn't it i think those kind of games aren't really happening yeah. on apple arcade anymore um i think they're they're pretty focused on the family friendly side of it which is great i give um i give my ipad to my son and he plays like sonic all stars racing and jelly car worlds which is great um yeah. But yeah, I, I'm not sure arcade is is where it's at for the core gamers who are probably listening to this podcast. Well, the core gamers listening to this may not even realise that they are already subscribed to uh, um, a, a pretty good mobile app store in Netflix. Um, as, as you mentioned earlier, I've I've been kind of banging this drum for a while. Mm. Um, nowhere on the Netflix app, certainly on the iOS, I, I can't speak for like tablets or whatever. When you load up the Netflix app, there is no mention whatsoever of games. You have to physically type in games before an, an actual games tab appears, and they've got over fifty games on there now, and they're not shite. Like Point Pay is like one of the best mobile games from last year. Yeah. They've just released a great handheld port of Turtle Shredder's Revenge, which is exclusive to them. Uh, the new Tomb Raider mobile game, there's there's a uh, free-to-play version out with Netflix, but Netflix is the version without ads and stuff. Um, is is Netflix the best kind of kept secret in mobile games, and is it Netflix's fault? Yeah, I, I think it is. Uh, it's, you know, they've got some real, um, like indie bangers on there like uh into the breach kentucky route zero immortalities on there although i haven't um i haven't managed to download it because it's like a monster and it it takes forever to download to my phone <laughs> but uh oxen free is on there like the turtles yeah. game like you mentioned point piece brilliant um yeah they've got loads yeah. on there um i think i i th- I'm not sure how the app works but because i get a i get a game section in my app i don't know if it's like hyper customized in the oh, same okay. way that netflix is for for uh you know it you know how it customizes it shows you stuff that you might like yeah, so yeah. maybe you haven't like given it the signals that you want games but I, um, yeah there's loads on there <laughs> um and i think yeah as increasingly particularly in mobile it gets riskier basically to launch a game because it's hard, uh, and you're seeing that in PC and console as well. It's hard to launch a new game, particularly if it's a new IP or a new franchise. Um, and so the safe bet is increasingly take the Netflix money and, like, uh, you know, you're you're guaranteed to make your game. Netflix will effectively pay for the development. I, I don't know that for sure, but that seems to be the uh, what what the the talk in the industry is that the Netflix will effectively yeah. pay for development. And then pay you sort of per play, or or based on some algorithm, um, based on the, the 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 amount of people that play it once it's on the service. So it's like a safe bet if you're a game developer, um, and it's the same with Apple Arcade. Apple uh, Apple cover the development costs, and um, yeah, that that right now is preferable to releasing a game on the App Store where it's impossible to find anything, and and you can't like 
advertise to get your game in front of the right people. Um, so yeah, I think um, Netflix is uh, they've, they've you know they've made noises about making sort of bigger games as well. They've hired the ex Overwatch director. Uh, they're building a studio around him in LA to, and they're hiring a load of um, mm-hmm. AAA um, game talent to build that game. Um, yeah, super interesting. I think it'll, at some point it will it will turn into a streaming game streaming service. And and as I said, have they hired Jeff from the Overwatch team? Chaco Sunny, his name is Jeff. <laughs> Who's Jeff? Ah, oh, he's the writer. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, everyone knows Jeff. Jeff from the Overwatch team. Big Jeff, big Overwatch. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Overwatch. No, never heard of him. <laughs> you guys, you guys are just making yourself look out. Of touch. Oh, what can I say? Everyone knows Jeff from the Overwatch team. Well, but we're 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 mobile gamers. We don't we don't we don't. Uh, Socialize. We don't fraternize with Jeff and his and his Overwatch team. Um, Neil, finally, in in terms of mobile games, uh, you're a man who knows his onions when it comes to cellular uh, cellular entertainment. Uh, recommend for the lovely people listening, please, some mobile titles that will, uh, to paraphrase the Breakfast Club, pump their nads. <laughs> Uh, I was already enjoying the phrase cellular entertainment there, Chris. And then you you delivered the punchline with the, the other bit. <laughs> I need to recover. Uh, yeah, I would say... Um... I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to go on godaddy.com.com and, and register uh, cellular Cellular entertainment. entertainment.biz. It sounds like a rival, um, <laughs> rival startup. Um, yeah, like, um, I think... Um, yeah, Point P. I think you already mentioned that. Uh, Point P is brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. The sort of the second is like the sort of opposite of a, another game called Downwell from the same guy. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. Um, his, his name is uh, Ojiro Fumoto. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but he made this game called Downwell. Um, incredible, like um, sort of you go down a well. You've got guns on your boots. It's very good. Um, he he got a job at Nintendo based off that game and then um i don't know what he worked on there but he quit and then he made point p for netflix uh so this guy is like one to watch for sure uh yeah point p is really good um i think we've mentioned a few of the marvel snap um absolutely brilliant game i'm not a card game player at all but the way uh it sort of introduces the mechanics and every game is not quite the same because of the locations and the the sort of random nature of it uh it's absolutely brilliant um card game that you know you can cram into any like spare three minutes you have um yeah on netflix there's a there's a a load of load of stuff uh most recently this game terra nil which is like a reverse uh it's kind of like um like a reverse builder battler kind of game which is probably a terribly unfashionable uh genre for people listening to this podcast but um it's like you, you sort of build a world um, and it's very sort of zen and very chill. And there's a there's a Reigns game as well. Do you know these games? They're like Tinder for sort of stories uh, where you, you sort of flick left and right to make your decision. So they're like fun, like comedy, choose your own adventure games. So a- any of the Reigns games, but there's a, there's a new one on Netflix, which will be free if you're already subscribed. Cool. Well, a host of cellular entertainment there. Um, I don't know why I, why I coined that because I can't say it. Uh, but regardless, um, 
we will now move on. I'm just checking the listener mail here to see if there's if we've got time for for one question. Well, a very quick question in our listener mail from Hazy before we wrap up, asking, "Is it concerning that arguably three of the top five game of the year contenders, Triple A wise, are all remakes?" Regardless of them all being excellent, what does that say about creativity at the top end, big budget studios? Are we in line for a glut of remakes? And I chose no, that purely for the word. They're glut. all fucking brilliant. Agreed. Yeah, Metroid, <laughs> Metroid and Resident Evil 4 and Dead Space are the three best games of the year so far. I mean, first of all, it's March. It, there's going to be better games than those. Uh, you know, probably you could be confident of, of that original games this year. I mean, you've got Starfield, Zelda, um, Spider-Man 2. That's just off the top of my head. But no, they're they're fucking excellent. I mean, they serve a purpose. It's they're they're easier for new teams to make. They're good for recruitment. Um, you know, for building technology. Um, you know, as we we said with, with Jeff Grubb a couple of weeks ago, you know, Retro have made kind of um, Prime Remastered to kind of train up, build the technology for Metro Prime Four, and to to kind of recruit and give those guys something to do while they're kind of um, doing the the concept phase for for that game. Um, Dead Space was a warm-up for Iron Man, you know, recruit, technology, etc. And um, Resident Evil 4 just makes loads of fucking money. Um, but it's it's really, really good. No, mate, if they're going to be of that quality, remake everything. Neil, you love a remake? Uh, I, I, I personally, yeah, I would like to see something a bit fresher, personally. Uh, I, I love the yeah. PlayStation first-party games. I'd like another like IP from that factory if possible, like you know, God of War, Horizon, Spider-Man, uh, the other one. What's the other one? Ghost of Tsushima. Like all all great games that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, I, I'd love to see them try something else um, at some point. Yeah, I I think there's a there's a risk. Like games are expensive, hard to make, so naturally it's a risk to take a punt on a new a new series but yeah i would i would definitely like to see more i mean the amount of money that it costs now to to make these games is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and the time required uh i mean jason trier put something out last year um about how anyone starting a game now is probably going to come out on playstation 6 mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so it is a safe bet that's why you're seeing ea and people like that now latch onto licenses like do marvel games because it's it's you kind of have to now with the richest the, the risk attached i mean sony making spider-man games and, and wolverine games and it, it's a it's a safer bet um i should say actually that um on that on the remakes um i put this on twitter um uh, yesterday but the I hear the the Metal Gear Solid Three remake is coming out next year now, so hopefully I mean that was supposed I think that was supposed to be at E three, that's what I was told. So you'd assume that I mean as I said at the top of the show that 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 will kind of fall somewhere else during that window. Yeah, but yeah, twenty twenty four for that. Well, there we have it. Twenty twenty four says Andy, but um, uh, judging by my laptop, it is sixteen oh seven, which means that is the end of today's episode of the VGC podcast. Thank you very much for listening, Neil. Where can people find you should they wish to seek you out? Mobilegamer.biz. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's a very prompt um, and efficient answer, uh, which is <laughs> I would expect nothing less. Um, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. You can follow myself on Twitter at Scully1888. You can follow Andy at Andy Platonic, and you can follow Neil at Neil underscore Long underscore. Um, plenty of underscores uh, for the world there. Say goodbye, Andy. 
Goodbye, Andy. Say goodbye, Neil. Goodbye, Neil. And it's goodbye from me. Next week, the mutiny is over and Jordan returns and Andy will be in Japan paying obscene money at a Pokemon restaurant. Not thinking about this for, podcast. For rice balls shaped like a Snorlax's arse. So it'll be Jordan, me and another special guest. Until then, see you later. Bye-bye. VGC, a video games podcast, is a stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network.